Well, you know, we record these services every week and they go on the internet. Well, you know, I hope they get to hear you chatting so cheerily as that, clearly. Essex Church is a place that people want to come to. Good morning. Welcome to one and all. Today's service is, uh, has a theme of home. And my hope this morning is that in some sense you feel at home here. Perhaps not the, the cosy home of uh, Victorian pictures, but some sense of belonging, a deep sense of this is a place where you can connect with others. This is perhaps a place where you can put down roots in a community here of Kensington Unitarians created by its very diversity. Some words, some opening words by Kenneth Patton. We arrive. We arrive out of many singular rooms, walking over the branching streets. We come to be assured that brothers and sisters surround us to restore their images upon our eyes, these fellow human beings. We enlarge our voices in common speaking and singing. We try again that solitude found in the midst of those with who we seek hidden reckonings. Our eyes reclaim the remembered faces. Their voices stir the surrounding air. The warmth of their hands and their glance reassures us. The gladness of our spoken names. This is the reason of cities, of homes, assemblies in houses of worship. Welcome, welcome to you all. And I'm lighting our chalice this morning, this chalice that holds the light of a liberal heritage. And as we kindle this light once more in our fellowship here today, May its message of freedom for all and acceptance of all be kindled the world over. And so, a, a story. It, it, they say there are only so many stories in life. I'm definitely at the stage now of retelling the old ones. And um, I, I always think this particular one has a personal message for, for the one who struggles with full cupboards. The story is told, it's been, it's been told in this very place many times before, the story of some visitors, it's said, from the United States who arrived in Poland. They'd heard about the famous Jewish rabbi, Hafez Hayim. They managed to receive a quite precious invitation to meet him in his home. Hafiz was in the Hasidic tradition of Judaism. He was renowned for the wise simplicity of his teachings. And when the tourists arrived, they were surprised to see that the rabbi's home was only one simple room. A shelf of books, a table, a bench. They were his only furnishings. Rabbi, they asked, somewhat personally, I feel, where's your furniture? Where is yours? He asked them in reply. But we're only visitors here, they answered. We're just passing through. So am I, said the rabbi. 
Would you join me now in a time of prayer and reflection? Let us pray that we may stumble with the very idea of offering our thoughts to that which is unknown and nameless. Still, let us pray this day to all that is wise and true, both within us and beyond, that we might find that wisdom for ourselves and so align ourselves once more with that which leads to the highest good for all. And as today we speak of home, let us first pray for all those who are homeless, all those who do not have a place of their own, nor safety, nor even shelter. Let us pray for all those who live in fear within their homes, where violence or cruelty wield their power. Let us pray for all those who are exiled from their homelands and for all those who struggle to afford the homes in which they live and for whom rent or mortgage payments are a source of distress. May help come for all those who suffer in these ways. And we, for whom a home is hopefully a place of pleasure and comfort, let us give thanks for the homes we enjoy and let us appreciate all that they provide. Let us hold all our possessions as lightly and joyously as we can, knowing that indeed we too are just passing through, just visitors here on earth for this little while. And not just in our homes, but in the very way we live our each and every day, may we practice the gracious arts of hospitality, welcoming stranger as friend, allowing people to be themselves, accepting them as they are, encouraging all to feel at home, wherever we may be. Amen. And so we now have two readings um, that give different views on this idea of home. We're going to start with one by Bill Bryson. Bill Bryson, the ex-chancellor of my university, Durham. This is an excerpt on attention to our homes and the things in them. So I thought it might be interesting, for the length of a book, to consider the ordinary things in life, to notice them for once, and treat them as if they were important too. Looking round my house, I was startled and somewhat appalled to realise how little I knew about the domestic world around me. Sitting at the kitchen table one afternoon, playing idly with the salt and pepper shakers, it occurred to me that I had absolutely no idea why, out of all the spices in the world, we have such an abiding attachment to those two. 
Why not pepper and cardamom? Or salt and cinnamon? And why do forks have four times and not three or five? There must be reasons for these things. Dressing. I wondered why all my suit jackets have a row of pointless buttons on every sleeve. I heard a reference on the radio to someone paying for room and board and realised that when people talk about room and board, I've no idea what the board is that they're talking about. Suddenly, the house seemed a place of mystery to me. So I formed the idea to make a journey around it, to wander from room to room and consider how each has featured in the evolution of private life. I would write a history of the world without leaving home. The idea had a certain appeal, I must say. I'd recently done a book in which I tried to understand the universe and how it's put together, which is a bit of an undertaking, as you will appreciate. So the idea of dealing with something as neatly bounded and cosily finite as an old rectory in an English village had obvious attractions. Here was a book I could do in carpet slippers. In fact, it was nothing like that. Houses are amazingly complex repositories. What I found, to my great surprise, is that whatever happens in the world, whatever is discovered or created or bitterly fought over, eventually ends up, in one way or another, in your house. Wars, famines, the Industrial Revolution, the Enlightenment, they're all there in your sofas and chests of drawers, tucked into the folds of your curtains, in the downy softness of your pillows, in the paint on your walls, and the water in your pipes. So the history of household life isn't just a history of beds and sofas and kitchen stoves, as I had vaguely supposed it would be, but of scurvy and guano and the Eiffel Tower and bedbugs and body snatching and just about everything else that has ever happened. Houses aren't refuges from history. They're where history ends up. That extract made me want to read that book on private life by Bill Bryson. And here's another recommended book, The O of Home by Quaker Jennifer Kavanagh. It's marvellous. And this is just a, a small selection from her chapter on coming home. She starts, Einstein said that the most important question is, is the universe a friendly place? And maybe we could add to that, are we? The more we find home in ourselves, the more we will be able to express it in our relationships with others, and the less we will need to express it in our material surroundings. The more we express that self in the world and in the work we do, the less we will need to compensate for feelings of inadequacy or alienation by larger, more separate, more fashionable, or even more beautiful homes, furniture, and artefacts. The more we trust in our real selves, the more love and the less fear we will feel. 
A physical home will not need then to be an escape, nor a refuge buttressed against a hostile world, but a shelter merely from the cold and the wet, and an open-hearted place of true hospitality. Words from Jennifer Kavanagh. If you, if you count a home as somewhere that you've lived for at least six months, then for some people here today, counting such places will be an easy task. For some of you, it would require a pen and paper and a bit of time to fathom out just how many places, how many homes you've lived in in your lives. I added mine up earlier. And it was 16, 16 different places that I've lived in for six months or more at a time. And although this address, indeed this whole service, has the title of home, I think probably many of us will at some time in our lives have the experience of a place to lay down our head that is a building but does not feel like home for one reason or another. Now, the number of places that we've lived is a reflection of how old we are, of the pattern of our work and our education. It reflects our family history. It reflects the changing world in which we live. It reflects politics and economics, as Bill Bryson pointed out earlier on in that reading from his book, Private Lives. And as I've explored this, this theme during the week, it's become increasingly apparent to me, as if it wasn't apparent before, that, that home, for me, is a privileged business. It's been a largely pleasant and conflict-free aspect of my life. Now, I suspect that in the history of the world, and indeed in the history of some of you, this has not been the case. Surely has it not, for most of humanity, for most of the time. Now I've asked a few people to say a few words later on in the service about their experience of home. And as you came in, you were given a little quotation slip, I hope. If you've not got one, we'll find some more um, to, to give to you. Give us a wave if you don't have one now. I think there's one or two people here. And I've got some more we can cut up if needs be. So feel free to respond to that later on and have a think about what home means for you. There's a wedding blessing written by UUA minister John Burens that I like to use in wedding ceremonies. May the home that you make together be the kind that helps to make this world more home-like. May it be a place of virtue and honour of hospitality and peace, where you find such fulfilment, all who come in peace are welcomed, where both friendships and children are wisely nurtured. Above all, may you never cease to reach out in love and concern for others, so that those who have cause to follow your lives will rejoice, not only in your success and happiness, but in your brave and glorious living. And over the years, I've come to appreciate ever more deeply all those people who helped to make this world more home-like. 
they're not always couples. Forever more of us live alone or in varying sorts of relationships. And their homes generally don't look anything like the ones we find in Sunday paper colour supplements. One of the quotations that were handed out earlier on is from writer Mae Sarton, in which she says that a house that does not have at least one warm, worn, comfy chair in it is soulless. Most of us like homes to look homely. So I wonder what qualities make a place like home for you. A sense of safety and peace is important for me. Having some things around that hold meaning is high on my list too. When I go to a hotel or a temporary place to live, I like to put books on a shelf and a little vase of flowers perhaps on display. And then it's as though I've made myself at home, albeit temporarily. Yet it is these very objects that we collect and hold dear that bring us problems. The conversation that I've had with more people than any other this January has been about clearing our homes, sorting papers and books out, taking things to charity shops. This is such a modern and a well-to-do part of the world problem, isn't it? A friend who's just returned from Ecuador was surprised that her hosts there, she was there for three months, refused to let her throw away any old clothes or any other broken items away. They actually fished them out of the bin. They can all be mended, they'd say. Socks can be darned. Torn clothes can be patched. But not here in England anymore, for many of us, it seems. Now, there's nothing wrong with stuff. It's part of what makes life on Earth so sweet and so pleasurable. But the material realm can clutter more than just our cupboards. We can start to believe that it is what matters most. We can allow it to lure us into false senses of security. We care about and control our material possessions then, perhaps to hide from the very scary reality that we control so very little here in life. Our possessions will not save us. And indeed, as Jesus reminded us, the storing up of treasures here on earth where moths and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, those possessions can actually keep us from a, a greater treasure in the spiritual realm. There are many, many sayings in the Bible and other spiritual texts about the material and the spiritual. One of the ones that I want us to return to at some point is, is Jesus' answer to a disciple who said, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have coals and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Words from Luke's Gospel. It's not surprising, is it, that many, many spiritual teachers have set an example, like the Rabbi Hafiz Hazim that we heard of earlier on. Those teachers have taught us not to cling too strongly to the material in our homes. And so I'm going to ask Michaela to come and say a few words now about what home means to her. I will manage to say a few words. <laughs> 
<laughs> the topic that I was to say something about is home, of course. And from my point of view, it's not so much a space, although my space is actually very important to me, but it's an experience. It's an experience of belonging, of being a part of, and in some ways, in some very simple sense, it's not easy for me because I have two countries to which I feel I belong. These experiences, I think, my experience of being German, obviously, was part of my first experience, and it was very broken, too. Um, just a tiny little example of what happens is, when I'm in Germany, I say, I'm going home now, and mean England. When I'm here, I'm saying, I'm going home now, and mean Germany. And I kind of, it, it's very interesting, because I think in some ways, it... Um, shows me that I actually cope quite well with having two countries to belong to, two literatures, two languages, two of everything, really. Um, when it makes, when it com comes to be, com sometimes it makes conflicts for me, of course. So, for example, when Germany plays against England football, I don't know who I should keep my fingers crossed because if the Germans win, the English will beat them up and reinforce their old prejudices. If the English win, the Germans will just say, yeah. <laughs> and so they can't, neither can quite enjoy it in its own right. So that's, maybe I don't need to keep fingers crossed, but I kind of instinctively do it and just shows me how deeply I'm part of both, really. Um, so I think, on the whole, I'm lucky that I have such a web of complexity to dance about in. And sometimes the choices become a bit overwhelming, um, and sometimes I've, I'm completely lost. Like, I don't think in all these 38 years of being here, I've ever understood how male-female relationships work. They just work differently from German ones. And it's weird. And maybe that's part, very small, tiny part of an explanation why I haven't settled for it. And instead, I have settled in my home. Homes have always been easy for me. I'm unhappy in my relationships, my male-female relationships, not my friendships. But Home is where my heart is, and I make it wherever I am, with my friends, wherever they are. In my garden, with my birds, of course, famously. And when I participate in that life, I feel no, no div division in me. I'm at home, I'm at home and simple, and nothing is lacking. When I write an essay on Shakespeare, on a Shakespeare play, I'm at home, I'm, I'm just excited and one with it and love it and go through all the difficulties that arise and I think nothing of it and in, on one level. It's just part of it, a part of the whole joy. So in church, most of the time, um, I think I quite, it, it feeds my soul when I hear very often just the right word, something to just clean my windows again, clean the windows of my soul, that kind of thing. So it's my soul house that I'm partly talking about. 
So just, just very occasionally I have a feeling that I'm one with the universe and that there is nothing, nothing lacking. And then I notice my clay feet and I have to work all over again. Clean my windows, dig my guards, feed my birds, love my shit. I don't know if I can make it through a few words either, so we'll try. Um, I've had cause to think about what does home mean several times, sort of in the same vein that we're talking about today. Although I'm at law school, I'm not going to be a lawyer. I don't fit in that world. I fit in the world of anthropology, where home is sort of a context-based, movable object. I get really fascinated by cabinets and storage spaces and what people keep in them. How do they keep these things? And when I was a child, I too was in two worlds. I was in the United States and I was here. My mother would say, I'm going home, meaning she was coming back to England. We would say, we're going home, meaning we're going back to America, going to our house, which we had for years. When I was a young teenager, we started to move, and I began to realize what happens with these things. Where do we decide which cupboard in the new house they're going to go into? Do you take all your books, or do you get rid of some of them? How do you clean out these spaces in life? And now, again, I'm thinking about home. I have my own house. I have a beautiful house, flat. I look out over a wonderful scene of a dock. I'm close to everything that I need for my daily life. I have a place that I love because I'm with someone I love. But I don't think I'm really home. That flat is just a flat. It could be anywhere. I could pick up tomorrow and move to Argentina and I would have another home. So no matter where I am, I think it's possible. And I think it's possible partly because of what we find in the prodigal son. The prodigal son asked his father for half of the inheritance, or his half of the inheritance, which was an enormous insult. He kind of said to his father, I wish you were dead. So this, this person from whom he came, he said, I wish you were dead. And he goes off and he squanders his money and he sleeps with the pigs and he comes home when he has nothing. And he thinks, I'm going to be rejected from home. And he arrives and his father runs out to meet him and embraces him and takes him home. And that's used as a sort of parallel to God and what happens with God. When we are at home, we can be at home in ourselves, we can be at home in our hearts, we can be at home with that of God which is in us. So now when I think about home, I don't think about going to my flat, or home to my mother's house, or home to my father, wherever it happens to be. I come home, I come back inside, and I come back to that of God. Um, home is a really difficult one for me. 
Uh, I went to 14 different schools. Um, I have just passed the time of having more years than homes, um, <laughs> which makes me very old indeed. Um, and quite often I've been in a situation where I have called three countries home, so it beats two, doesn't it? <laughs> Particularly when I was uh, uh, living in Cambodia and I would often go out to, to Thailand and I'd also talk about England as, as home. Um, it's never been um, an important concept for me and so it actually had me thinking about home and what was it to be at home and for me home are people um, it's got nothing to do with any sort of structure or any sort of country that I might be, be living in it's um, for, for me now a sort of a deeper and deeper relationship with, with people that I feel at home with somewhere where I feel that I and accepted um, and I do do feel that this church is home <coughs> so that, that's me out living <laughs> and perhaps over tea and coffee later you'd like to have a look at those quotations that you were given and, and discuss this further and it's certainly a theme that we're going to come back to during the year partly because of the issue that several of you touched upon which is the spiritual issue of how do we create a sense of spiritual home in a community such as Kensington Unitarians in the midst of one of the world's busiest cities, a place where people live such lives of transition and people come and go so often. So that is my hope for the year ahead, that we will dwell on this further and in that actually help to create a very useful place for people to put down roots together. Thank you. Thank you all.